Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So good evening to you all. Delighted to be here. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show starts right now. Coming up this hour, many of you have written into the show uh, over and over and over again or sent me telegram messages, and uh, you've asked about automation. Now, I'm not talking about home automation this hour. What we're talking about is computer automation. The ability to set up a computer once to give that computer a given configuration and then to have that computer set up over and over and over again. Or maybe you want to set up a cluster of computers like that. Now, there are a variety of different ways to get that done, not lim- you know, up to and including even using something like Clonezilla, which we have done. But there are better ways to automate setting up computers. And so this hour, the Ask Noah show, we're going to do what we do best. We're going to find the industry experts that understand this stuff inside and out. We're going to make them available to you by asking them the questions that you want answered. And uh, and then of course, we're going to condense that down into a one hour radio show. So stay tuned for a guest that's going to join us this hour talking about chef. As always though, phone calls, phone lines, callers always go to the top of the, Top of the uh, front of the line, one eight five five four five zero noah That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Matt starts us off this hour in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. How can we help? So I, yeah, so I am, uh, I'm part of a large touring Pink Floyd act, believe it or not. And uh, so we have a ton of multimedia stuff going on, and I've been kind of designing the technology to do moving headlights and video and sound effects and a click track and everything. And right now, I am, I'm using a Mac Mini, but mm-hmm. it's from like 2011. And in the last five years or so, I've just gotten more and more into Linux. And I've now gotten to where the software can run on Linux, and we could do our show from it. But the trouble is hardware. Um, mm. As you know, you've probably seen mm-hmm. Macs don't run Linux great, and it might as well just keep using Mac OS on that. But I want to build a rack mount server, and I don't really have any idea where to start for something that can be like really stable and um, kind of shielded from interference because it'd be in a, in a rack with a bunch of other audio gear. Right. And that would have a strong graphics card with two video outputs because we need HDMI to a projector and HDMI to a... Um, a unit on stage that has a foot control. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot going on there. So I get, okay. So let's start with this. Um, first of all, how deep are your racks? Oh, I think it's 18 to 20 or deep. Um, not super deep. Um, right. I mean, I could get a new case and wheel it separately if it needed to be deeper. Here, here's why I ask, Matt, because what I have run into time mm-hmm. and time again, because we've done, we've actually solved this problem about 50 times over, uh, and what we run into all the time mm-hmm. is the, the, the rack depth ends up being the, the, the factor that screws you, and here's why. Most racks mm-hmm. have, a, have a depth of you know maybe 20 inches. 24 inches would be a really, really deep rack, uh, especially if it's, if it's uh, two-post stuff for audiovisual AV stuff. You know, a lot of your gators and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, SKB, so on and so forth, a lot of those are going to be you know, yep. more narrow. In fact, a lot of companies are going to like the half-depth ones. Um, there is one company that I, was found, that I was able to find, and only one company that I'm aware of, that makes a 2U... Uh, a 2U 19-inch depth case that can be used for AV purposes. And I've, o- and I've only ever had one problem with it, and the only problem I've ever had is the fans that ship with it, like you said, 
noise is everything inside of these when you're building something like this because everything is so tight and so your 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 emi is through the roof um and the only the the fans are they generate a lot of electrical noise so you have to you have to be willing to replace the fans but that's i mean it's literally two screws per fan and i they're you're not talking about acoustic noise from the fan you're talking about how it'll induce uh um, like in the yes okay Yes. And, uh, and so there's four, it comes with four fans. You take, you know, the eight screws out, take those four fans. I've just replaced two of them and I've never had a problem. Um, and, mm-hmm. and like you said, when it comes to acoustic noise, you want to get the largest fan you can get because it will spin at a slower RPM, thus creating less noise, sure. but offering the same cooling. So that's, that's gotcha. option, that's option one. And if you want dedicated graphics, that's really your only option. And here's why. There are car- mm-hmm. there that you have to have a certain amount of height inside of the case to accommodate even the smallest of graphics cards, and so mm-hmm. the the other option that I'm going to recommend to you just to just to something to consider because we've done it before uh, won't work here, but the, the, but this case and I, I will have a link to the show notes uh, for you that this case will work and it was actually the case that we used to build the uh, Jupiter Broadcasting mobile broadcasting rig that we've used, and I've since nice. used it in a number of different things. I can tell you that it works from a production standpoint with that one fan issue being okay. the, the one thing you got to watch out for. Now, a cup, one other option that we have done. We have used a, compu- a factory-made computer from Dell. Uh, it is the Dell, I'm just looking it up here, 3050 Micro. Now, this computer is, it's actually just a hair smaller than the Mac Mini, so it it would fit your existing workflow probably pretty well. Now, the Mac, the, the Optiplex 3050 Micro does have two display outputs. It has a display port and it has HDMI. So if you're just doing mirroring or if you're just doing two displays, that will work great. When you said you want, when you, when you, when you use term, yeah, but when you and use term, can convert HDMI to Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's all one digital signal, just a different connector. However, mm-hmm. when you say you want two solid graphics cards, mind you, these are it, it is an integrated graphics card with two outputs. Now, I've used the 3050 Micro with uh and I'm going to put a link here in the show notes too and and, and I'm going to talk about the show notes. Uh mm-hmm. but the uh the 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 thing about the 3050 Micro is it it has the it will do two displays, but you got to be a little careful because if you try and ask it to do too much, so and I'll give you an example of what too much is. It, it sometimes you'll you'll lose frames and stuff if you're recording. And so, for example, we had a church that we were putting in a. We tried to use a 3050 micro, and we were capturing four 1080p video signals uh, over the USB bus. Okay. And we were trying to uh, record that, stream it out, and output a one one display to the projector that the church was seeing, and one other one back in the control room. And that was too much. We eliminated two of the cameras. And once I eliminated two of the input sources and it didn't have to process those, then all of a sudden the 3050 worked. Um, so it works if, if you're yeah, – w- Good. Back 1080p H.264 video, so it would have to be have really good hardware acceleration. But if that can do that, then that's that sounds like more than enough. Yeah, I, I would, what I would, what I would suggest is buy it from somewhere, and the link I'm going to give you is Amazon. Uh, I would suggest buying it from somewhere like Amazon. That way, if you get everything set up and you try it and it doesn't work, you're not out any money because Amazon will let you return it, no questions asked, all of that. Uh, and then you can go the route of building your, your own. But I can tell you, as far as, as far as acoustic noise, EMI noise, as far as reliability, as far as stability, that 3050 micro, micro is like, it's an insane computer. I mean, it, it is a really great machine, and it's, they're not that expensive. They're like 500 bucks. That sounds like a really good option. Okay, perfect. Actually, I think we're going to be in your neck of the woods pretty soon, like within a couple of weeks. So, oh, really? Uh, I have to hit you up on Telegram or something. Yeah, please. Yeah. In fact, I'll do you one better. I'm going to put you back on hold, and I'll, I'll let Sarah pick up. And if you could grab some contact uh, information, or she can give you my, uh, uh, she can give you uh, maybe an email address for me or something like that, and that way we can just stay in contact. Because I'd, I'd love to take you out for dinner if you're in, if you're in Grand Forks. And that offer, by the way, stands for anyone that that ever stops by my neck of the woods. I'd, I'd gladly take anyone out for dinner uh, if you're in Grand Forks, so look me up. Again, phone lines one eight five five four five zero 450 noah That's one 450 6624 The email live at asknoahshow.com. Stu is calling from Scotland. Hey, Stu, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello. Thanks very much. Yes, sir. How can we help? Um, I, all right. Okay. Um, I have uh, maybe 100 different sites located around Scotland. Now, I don't manage them or anything but I need to install an application at every one of those sites. They've all got Windows-only networks. They're all completely different. Um, 
And I was wondering if AltiSpeed would have some way of approaching this problem. Now, the application is Windows only. It has to be okay. running MySQL my Server, and it's a .NET application, and it takes ages to install. Now, if I was living in the happy world of Linux, I'd just build a single image sure. and then stick like a, a box running libvirt or something and just virtualize it and uh, deploy it everywhere without spending too much time. But I don't know how you virtualize Windows in a way that lets you license it properly, but use a single image across multiple different locations. Um, and I just wondered how you would approach that. Sure. So uh, I would I would break that problem up into two smaller problems. The first problem is actually going from the physical machine to the virtual machine. And that process is pretty simple. There's an application put out by Microsoft. We talked about it numerous times on the show, but I'll have a link for you in the yeah. show notes as well. Um, and basically, it's an executable. You run it, Stu, on, on your physical machine, and it will just generate a um, virtual disk image of that physical hardware. Pretty straightforward. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Um, what I mean is I don't, want to have to I don't want to have to go to their site and virtualize some horrible installation of, Linux, of, of Windows oh. and then have to install the application on top of it. I want to build almost like an appliance that I can just drop into this hundred different places presumably preceding it with some kind of license key or something or mm -hmm. reusing a license from them and then decommissioning one of their machines, but not going through the process of virtualizing an existing machine and then putting the application on top. Mm. Well, how many, how many machines are we talking about here? Is, oh, well, it's 100 sites, so it'd be 100 machines. Okay. Here's why, here's why I ask. Because Microsoft does have a – it's a – so I'll give you an example, Stu. So at, 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 at a school district that we work with, they have a Microsoft licensing server, and they load into that licensing server a certain amount of licenses. And so anytime a piece of software comes online that needs a Microsoft license, it reaches out to that license server and says, okay, I need a, you know, whatever, I'll just make something up, but Microsoft Office, I need to install Microsoft Office, okay, we have one available, okay, great, it pulls that down from the quote-unquote license pool, and now that piece of software is licensed. I don't know because I don't work, you know, directly. Obviously, that that's you're, we're a little bit outside of my purview. But I don't know exactly what the threshold Microsoft requires you to have before they will let you set up a system like that. But that sounds to me like what you're looking for because you will not have to worry about license now. As far as how to get the actual application installed in an appliance like Factor, so that you can move that around. It, that would depend on a couple different variables. You know, it's going to depend on how the network stack is set up, and if there, you know, is it is the is this SQL database is it going to be different for every site, or is it the exact same thing over and over and over again? All of those things are going to depend a little bit. But what you could do is you could build a just speaking in broad terms, Stu, you could build a what we'd call like a sterile disk image of the 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 most basic install and config that you could possibly envision. And then, mm -hmm. and then, and then, copy that image over to the 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 new hypervisors and deploy that out. And then, using a Microsoft licensing server, pull down the appropriate license so that it is licensed correctly. Right. Okay. Okay. Does that help um, you? God, it'd be so much easier if it was just a an Ubuntu VM or something. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I, no. Um, thanks very much. I'm so sorry about that question being so windowsful. No, that's fine. It's the horrible world I live in at the moment. No, you know what? That's and, yeah. Hey, you know what? The, the 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 reality is, Stu, and I, you know, sometimes I this shocks people if I go out to dinner and we're talking about it. But I somehow I've developed this reputation, like um, basically everyone around me has switched to Linux, and that's all we use is Linux. And and if you walk into Altispeed, like we're like Windows, what is Windows? What is Microsoft? What is this Microsoft you speak of? Like, how do you think all of the people that we get onto Linux got there? Like, what do you think they were using when we took over those sites? And and how do you think those companies hire us if we're not capable of managing a Windows system to begin with? So I mean, you got to meet people where they are. And and no, for sure we do. We do our fair share of, of, of work on Windows systems. I don't like it, and I don't. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But like you said, you wake up and you find yourself, that's the boat that you're in. You, you, you deal with it. I mean, you deal with the environment that you're given. And there's nothing wrong with that. But thanks for calling in, Stu. It was an interesting question, interesting conversation. I appreciate it.
Corey is calling from Texas. Hey, Corey, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Hello, sir. How can we help? Uh, <laughs> I'm actually looking for a little bit of an alternative. I'm using a software called Hootsuite to manage all my clients' social media. Yes. Uh, and it's semi-open source. And right now, my company is still growing, and I'm trying to not go over the budget. And, and Hootsuite is taking out a good chunk of it. Sure. That's the most new software that I've been using. Yeah. Thing. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I do, Corey, and we'll see if this helps you. I, I think I. I think I, I. So your question is, what's a better solution than than Hootsuite that you could use to 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 manage all of these social media things, uh, without having to pay this, you know, exorbitantly high monthly fee? At least, you know, comparatively speaking. Yeah, so I'll tell you what I do, Corey. What what I have found that works really well for me is I have actually gone out to the community and said, is there anybody looking to make a couple extra bucks on the side? Here's how many social media posts we're looking to have out. Here's what the company is able and willing to pay. Is there anyone to do this? And I, in three different occasions, I have found people that have said, yeah, I'd be willing to manage that. Now, in some, now there's a, a wide variety of reasons. One, it was a nonprofit organization that was helping um, new immigrants to the United States get settled. And the person that stepped up and said, yeah, I would like to work with them was just interested in helping out with the, the organization. Uh, in in the Ask Noah Show's case or whatever, it was a gentleman, Mr. Simon Quigley, who just said, I just want to help and be a part of the success of the program and help people get onto Linux. And so there, there's different motivations of why people will do it for uh, work within your budget. But in but in every in every case that I have had that problem and I've said, okay, the software solution is too expensive. Is there somebody out there that would be willing to help me out? Out and 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 do this kind of social media management. A lot of people are like, you know what? I've got an extra 15, 20 minutes a day. I'm on Twitter anyway. I don't mind retweeting some stuff or coming up with the tweet and sharing it out. Or you know, sometimes you give like uh, you know, like Simon for example, we make up little memes and and I send them to him and he's just got a, like a, a batch of them and he tweets one out, whatever uh, stuff like that. Is that something you think you w- would work for you, Corey? Um. Getting, doing a freelancer thing would probably be cheaper than Hootsuite. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, get with my uh, person who does the money and I'll figure out a budget for that. Yeah, yeah. The first step is getting a budget and then find out what the requirements are, how many times they want to be, uh, they want social media to go out, and then you can kind of go from there. Again, phone lines one eight five five four five zero noah That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Let's go back to the phones here. Who do we have? Chaz is calling from New York. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, how's it going? Excellent. How can we help today? Well, lately I've been digging this podcast run by this crazy guy in an RV called uh, Tech Talk Today. <laughs> and, uh, I might have heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might have. So, uh, so many interesting topics we could discuss there, but I wanted to hit on the most recent one, which was the recent Facebook, uh, the revelation that Facebook is doing what we already knew they were doing with our personal data. Right. Um, and I wanted to ask, because I did look on uh, the EFF website and a few other places to try to find the information on my own, but I wanted to ask, is there an Ask Noah approved method of reducing one's Facebook footprint, be it because you want Facebook to have less information to, about you to give to third parties or because you're interested in limiting the amount of uh, stuff that potential employers can find on you or... Uh, you, sure. I, I guess you, you can probably uh, figure out where I'm going with this. Yeah, absolutely. Anything like that? Any resources that you use or extensions or things? Well, I've got I've got a half answer for you. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm like the worst person to ask this question, and I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll disclose my bias. I'm the worst person to ask, Chaz, because I don't care what Facebook does with my data because I don't. I have never put anything on Facebook that I consider to be private. I don't post private things everything i post is to my public timeline in fact i've had people they've even i've had people send me messages and they'll say 
could I be part of your actual friends list? Because it seems like the only posts I ever see are the ones that you publish publicly. And I would like to be on your, and I like, sure. But I don't, I don't have two sets of friends list. The only exception to that, the only exception to that is I have a small, uh, I have a, uh, one of those, um, you know, whatever viewer reduced groups in privacy setting groups inside of Facebook for my political posts, simply because I know that's not everyone's cup of tea. And so I very much value everybody's friendship on Facebook. And I think there's far more things that we can find to agree on than we can disagree on. And so I try not to 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 plaster that in other people's faces unless you're interested in, in engaging in discourse with me, in which case I gladly add anyone to that group. But uh, but for that reason, when I heard about the Facebook data breaches and I started reading it in there, I was like, well, you know, the thing is, I just like you said, we all kind of assumed that Facebook was, you know, collecting a lot of this data. And so if there is a breach and when when things get leaked out, there's really nothing that's on Facebook I really care about. And furthermore, 90 percent of it, I want to get leaked somewhere. I would be very happy if the post for episode 55 of the Ask Noah show got leaked somewhere and spread all over the Internet. That would make me a very happy person. And so for those reasons, I'm not a great person to ask that. I'm not the best person to give you that answer. But here's what I would do if you were concerned about those things. Using something um, so uh, well. I guess what I, I guess what I would say is we have a Mastodon community that is uh, LinuxRocks.online. I don't talk an, about it enough on the show, but what's great about Mastodon, if you haven't played with it, it is a decentralized social network that can talk to all of the other instances of that social network. And so you can see just the posts from our Linux, primarily Linux and Jupyter Broadcasting Ask Noah show based community, or you can see every post on Mastodon ever. You can also choose to tie any posts that you make on Mastodon to Facebook, uh, you know, or have it retweet. And, and so the advantage there is if you have a lot of friends and family and you want to share pictures of the grandkids or pictures of the kids or you know, uh, outing events or whatever, you can say like, this is something I'm okay splattering it all over the internet. Go ahead and do this. And this is the more privacy conscious thing that I only want my close friends and family to see. And so I, I keep that just on our local family Mastodon server or whatever. Is that at all a helpful answer to you? A little bit. I mean, uh, kind of my end state goal is to reduce my social media presence altogether. Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm, I actually, uh, Obviously, you've talked about Mastodon on the show before, and I haven't really gotten into it just because uh, I don't need more apps on my smartphone. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I can definitely see, you know, just kind of like uh, the being more intelligent about the uh, posting of things like that. I was just kind of thinking in terms of, you know, Facebook started 10 years ago. That's when we all got it. And sometimes you, that little on this day thing pops up, and you look right. at it and be like, man, that's just kind of... Yeah, where did that come from? Right, and I'll I'll tell you something else too. Just on the on this day thing, it I have found that to not be accurate. Like I know for a fact, uh, I was I think it was the I think it was I was watching the presidential inauguration last year, and this year it came up and it was like on this day last year you were and I was like no no I wasn't because I very that was a very the the date was very distinctive the day was very distinctive what I did that day was very distinctive and it was like. It was a couple days off. Like it wasn't even like, well, the calendar of the day fell on a different, you know, day this year or whatever. It was like way, way off. Uh, it's just a side rant. But no, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. My suggestion to anyone that want that values their privacy, stay off of social networking. Just stay off of it altogether. Because if not today, tomorrow you're going to be burned. And do not trust the privacy features to keep your information private. Do not trust them. Um. There are reports of social media entities selling information. Uh, I know that I have not used one myself, but I know that there are services that are available to do like social media digging on potential employees. There, there's just there's all sorts of reasons why if you value your privacy, you shouldn't do those things. I've, I, I take a hybrid approach. I value my privacy. And so I just don't put that stuff online, period. And the stuff that I if you go on my Facebook, you'll find very, very few pictures of my kids. And that's not because I haven't shared all of them with you. It's just because I don't trust half the world out there. I don't trust anyone. And so I just don't put that stuff on, on my Facebook. And uh, we've linked articles in the past in, in the show. And I'm just going to, you know, I, 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 we've linked articles in the past in the show that talk about why you should be very careful with pictures of your kids. And I'll just take a moment to say that I have been uh, I've been collecting some <clears throat> um Harsh, but appreciated feedback on the show notes. And so what I will tell you is that I have revamped the way that we have 
done that we are doing show notes, collecting show notes. And I will make sure that all of the information is available to you, but you have to meet me halfway. I cannot promise you that first of all, the show notes are not going in the YouTube description. They are not going to go in the YouTube description. First of all, that's not my channel. It is Jupiter Broadcasting channel. So the decision isn't even mine, even if I wanted to. Second of all, I don't think that the YouTube text box is a particularly uh, it's not possible with our current workflow with the way that we write out show notes and the format that we write them in to try to paste that in. I could do it and it would look crazy because there's all these characters and stuff from the from the formatting that we use that goes onto the website. So those two reasons are alone are enough that I can't put show notes onto the YouTube if I wanted to. And even if I could do it, I probably wouldn't because it wouldn't fit with our workflow. That said, getting the show notes is easier than ever. All you have to do if you're on a web browser, podcast.asnoashow.com, click on the episode. All of the links are right there. If you're on your phone, it's even easier. Just swipe to the right and all of the links will be there. And over th- this will be episode the first episode that I'm I'm going to be doing this with. But in future episodes, there's going to be a lot more content in those notes than even is published on the Jupiter Broadcasting site. And that's just because the way that the infrastructure is set up. I'm on the air right now, and I'm talking about this Eight Minutes of Fame site that I'm talking about. I can click a button, and it will just go in there. And I just don't have the memory to to remember to go back and add that back into the show notes. I can do that, you know, with one or two things, but we get into a one hour radio program and I have a bunch of callers. It's very difficult for me to remember that one thing that I I said I was going to 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 get to that person. And so on one hand, I apologize that I have not been um, better about making sure that information is available to you. On the other hand. I guess I'm telling you that it's probably going to continue to a certain extent. And the only way I can think to solve that problem is to use the tools that Chris is generously paying for and providing to me to make sure that that this information is available to you. So podcast.asknoahshow.com if you want the most complete up-to-date show notes. And I can even add those after the fact. So if somebody says, I didn't I didn't get the link here in the past, I just wouldn't have been able to get you that information. I would have had to email it to you or or whatever. Now I can click that button and retroactively it will go back into your into your podcast player or or the web browser. So podcast.asknoahshow.com. Let's make sure and, and, and utilize those resources. Christopher is calling for oh no. <laughs> Christopher Christopher is calling from Virginia. Hey Christopher, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Be be nice to me. Howdy. Hey, how's it going? Um, yeah, so uh, I'm uh, one of those uh, security nuts that's always around the office uh, harassing the developers about more encryption and you know separation of roles and privileges and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I've been meaning to call for a while, and and when uh, you did the episode on uh, SSL certs, I thought, well, you know, I, I have to call now because <laughs> um, I, I figure it's just because you don't know, but the. Uh, the SSL certs on uh, the Ask Noah Show website aren't uh, configured right. They're oh. for uh, an R4L.com. I think, I'm guessing it's like a shared hosting provider or something. Yeah. In fact, I, is there SSL at all? Let's see. I don't, I don't think there is. Uh, tech, well, this, there is a cert, but it doesn't work for AskNoahShow.com. Okay. The, the web server presents a cert. It just, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can't overwrite it and make it work. Yeah, so the the answer to that this is not an excuse. Christopher is absolutely right. Noah is absolutely wrong. We should fix that. We will fix that. Um, the excuse, if 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 you'll if if I'm allowed to give it, is just that um, we don't actually pay for hosting. One of the the register I use is registerforless.com, and I I like them for like I could go, I could do a whole episode on why they're like the best hosting provider ever on the face of the planet. But one of the things I like about them is they give you a, I don't know, 50 megs or hundred megs or something of free web hosting with every site. And so when we launched, we don't, we don't pay for a server. We don't pay for hosting. We pay the $9 a year to, 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 to own the domain. We get free email, uh, free email aliasing and forwarding, and we get free hosting. Uh, and so that, and so we just, we threw a static page up and, and it was just like a landing page that I could, I could link people to all of the different resources. Now, as the show has progressed, it's obviously gotten substantially more advanced. We have the distro elimination challenge. We have the, the contact thing. We now have the podcast integration, all of those, the player, it's becoming more of a resource. So I, I will add that to my list, Christopher, of things that we need to get fixed sooner rather than later. And I'll even give you a tentative date. We will try to have that fixed by our one year anniversary, April 3rd episode. How's that? That's only, that's like two weeks away, three weeks away. 
Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate You know what? And thank you, Christopher, for, for calling in and letting us know because – as uncomfortable it probably is to like, I'm going to have to call this guy and harangue him because he's, he's out there telling everyone they should use SSL and he's not using SSL like that. That is an important thing to, to point out. And we really appreciate that there are people like you that are knocking on the doors or noticing that the door's wide open. That would be, that'd be a good thing to fix. James is calling from Idaho. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Yeah, no, um, I'm looking since they pulled some stuff on the repos. I'm looking for what you see is what you get. Web page editor that does not require me to remember all the HTML code. Mm. Okay, on Linux, I assume. And, and it used to be available, and it used to be some available in fourteen four, but in you bunch of sixteen, they went bye bye. Yeah. Uh, the only WYSIWYG editor that I'm aware of. So I'll start with this disclaimer because otherwise. Uh, our producer, Michael Tunnell, is going to kill me. Uh, Michael Tunnell, producer and uh, and uh, owner of Visuex, the guy who designed our non-SSL uh, encrypted site. Not that he had anything to do with the cert, but he designed the website. Um, we, do, we have him do everything, all of our graphic design, all of our video assets, uh, all of the web page stuff. Um, he would tell you that you should not use a WYSIWYG designer. You should actually learn what all of those code things do. And with sites like W3 Schools, it should not take more than you know a week or so to to start banging on uh, some PHP or 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 just basic HTML or CSS. All that said, the answer to your question is uh, Bluefish. There's a there's an editor called Bluefish that I have used in the past because I I am not a web designer and I don't claim to be one. And every once in a while, I need to tweak something or change an image out or or something like that. And I have used Bluefish, and that's that's as far as I'm aware, that is the closest thing on Linux you can get to a WYSIWYG designer. Does that help you? Oh, oh, hold on a second. I clicked the wrong button. Sorry. Does that help you, James? Yeah, that that uh, gives me some place to start. The ones I've been playing with have been horrible, and they're in Windows based playing out of wine, and it's like. Ugh. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I would yeah. give I'd give Bluefish a try, and it, and uh, it it like I said, there are some downsides to it. There, it's it's not perfect, and I have had it script the completely script the formatting a couple of times. So I would make sure to back up your web page before you try and use it. But if you wanted a WYSIWYG designer, that's the one to to go to. Again, open phones one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow Okay, coming up in the next part of the program, we're going to have Mr. John Wyatt. John was going to walk us through exactly what it takes to get Chef up and running. Now he's custom written a guide for you guys, the listeners of the Ask Noah Show, and we're gonna we're gonna debut that guide right here on the program right after we get to our mumble room because there's a couple of people in the mumble room that had some questions. So we'll start uh, with uh, who was the first person. Uh, uh, I don't know. Somebody speak up in the mumble room. Hey guys, how's it going? Well, hello there. Hey, how can I help? This is this is Daniel coming from Australia, um, and I I've got uh, two questions for you. Uh, I work for a church and a school, and I've got a question for each. But uh, for the, for the first question, my church is trying to do basically we're doing a class, and we're doing it in a uh, a classroom. We've got maybe four or five participants at the table, but we also want to broadcast that uh, that class online. And so far what we've been doing is we've just been doing a Skype call. Anybody who wants to call in, we just add them on Skype. But uh, what, what I would rather be doing and what we're setting up to do is record the uh, class using open broadcaster and that way we've got you know slides and uh, chat and all that kind of stuff all in one Um, but i'm just wondering is there a way to low latency uh, stream a video broadcast that we could still have our live uh, audio chat from something like skype or mumble or or whatever hmm well the the low i mean the lowest latency you're going to get is is the uh, real time media protocol and um there is actually a very very expensive box like think $15,000 expensive box that is made by a professional broadcast suite and this this is what they use to facilitate remote video broadcasts so you have the anchor out live on set or on uh, on scene and the studio asks, you know, tell us about the weather. And then she responds or whatever. And that box, if you peel back all of the fancy marketing, what is underneath is actually just an RTMP feed. 
Uh, and so, and, and they can say, they sell that box for $15,000. That's for one. So you need 30 to, to actually use the thing. And they sell that box as a solution to low latency uh, video. So for those reasons, I would not hesitate to use RTMP to, to stream the video. Now, how to actually do that? Is it two-way video or is it just you're coming in with a bunch of sources all coming back into some master switcher? No, basically we we just have our classroom and I'm going to have microphones set up around the table so you can hear the classroom participants and we'll have one uh, camera shot on uh, the speaker and then we'll, with OBS, have like slides and things overlaid as well. And so we want the people who are remote to be able to see that while also being able to chat with us. So if we ask mm. them to like uh, read a passage or something like that, that they could read it and participate in that way. Quite frankly, that sounds like almost something that Hangouts would be really suited for. And again, I, it depends on how how high quality you want the video to be and how high quality you want the recording to be. Eric is actually in our mumble room, and he ha may have a suggestion for you as well. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, the... I'm I'm really trying to figure this out. So basically, you want two way communication. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, we we want one way video source, but we want um, people to be able to chat with us live, like we're okay. doing right now. So, any ideas, Eric, or no? Okay, I appear to be having some connection problems, but I'll try to get this out. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, good. I'm having yeah. trouble here. Sorry. I'm just going to go on as if I'm connected. Um, I We're trying to... We're in the transition process at my church myself. Uh, I would look into living as one and then just have a phone call coming back for the audio from the other place. That's pretty much all I've got right now. Yeah, I'm... I'm I'd be before I went to a phone call. I think I would I would I would use something like Hangouts because it's at least you're going to have a wideband codec or Skype even is going to have a wideband codec. And it's and the other problem you're going to run into if you try and separate those out is you're going to have to have some some way of syncing up the audio that's coming in over the phone. Excuse me, and the and the video that's there. So I, what I would do, uh, uh, Cordons, is I would either do like a video solution like Skype, like Hangouts, or I would actually set up individual RTMP feeds that go back to that central switching place and then have on the remote end, have those people viewing uh, the, the the master feed, so to speak, if that makes sense. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'll go on to my second question. Th thank you for that. But uh, mm -hmm. so I also work for a school. Um, we do uh, remote teaching uh, from the school. But uh, currently we do our normal like teacher to teacher chat uh, over rocket or over Skype. Um, and I've been trying to set up a rocket chat server to replace that. Um, but the one thing I'm running into, once again, it's an audio issue is uh, rocket chat pulls in Jitsi and it's not real transparent and it's uh, not, not real great. Is there any other uh, rocket chat like application that also does voice calling yeah i mean well i hate to be i can't believe i'm gonna say this but there is discord i mean i i'm man yeah, i am gonna discord I'm, isn't a managed solution uh, isn't that be no different than using skype yeah well and also <clears throat> i promise you there are some people that are having a good laugh at my expense right now um yeah i, I tell you what here's how about this for a solution I I don't know how to fix uh, if there's if there's a way that Rocket Chat can be fixed so that it works properly for you. But there is a gentleman in our community, um, and he has set up a number of Mattermost and Rocket Chat instances. Let me do this. If you can send me a Telegram or an email, or head over to AskNoahShow.com and click on the contact link, give me some way to get your contact information. Let me reach out to him and see if he has experienced some issues with. Uh, Rocket Chat and see if he has some solutions and we'll try and get an answer for you. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. And uh, last, uh, lastly, last but not least, we had uh, one other gentleman in the uh, in the mumble room. I, I can't find you. The Major. Hey, Major. What's up? Oh, hey, Major. Uh, hey, no. Uh, basically, I think it was another guy was supposed to be before me, but that's okay if you I accept my question. Okay. Well, why don't you go? <laughs> I don't care. J Jay Bird, you can go because you're before me. All right. So, 
Uh, I had a question about audio switching and how it kind of sucks in Linux with Chrome mm-hmm. and how when I boot into Windows, it was perfect when I connected my Bluetooth and I could and the audio in the background and the tab was still playing. And it wasn't like I didn't have to close the tab and reopen the instance. Sure. Well, I, I, I guess I'd start out by saying you and I have very different experiences because I have found um, audio in Windows to be anything but perfect. For one, Windows tends to group all of the audio devices under a single stereo output, which makes recording individual channels or sending individual channels back to a a multi-channel mixer, things like that, impossible. Uh, So for a lot of reasons, I don't particularly like the also window or the um, not also (laughs) the uh, the Windows sound system. But as far as to problems with Bluetooth and stuff like that, are you running the latest version of of Ubuntu? I'm running Debian 10. Okay. The the reason I ask, and this is probably coming to, to Debian if it's not there already, the reason I ask is because the, the team over at Canonical has done extensive work on the Bluetooth subsystem, and I it was one of the first things I noticed about 1710, and that was back just when I was beta testing it. I have a small little Bluetooth speaker that I use because the speakers on my laptop aren't that great, and uh, and I connected it. No audio sync issues, no switching over issues, no it played through the laptop for the next 30 seconds and then finally switched over to the Bluetooth. No, when I powered the Bluetooth speaker on, it wouldn't connect anymore after the first time I paired. All of those issues seem to be gone in 1710, and, and that's new uh, because I have had issues in the past. Oh, good. Yeah, uh, that's a funny story because I actually jumped from Ubuntu to Debian 10. Okay, great. On, on this laptop because I was having so many issues with uh, crashing. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I, like I said, whatever. one more thing. Yeah, yeah. Would would Pipewire solve this? Maybe I have. I'd be honest with you. I have not played enough with Pipewire to be able to to give you an answer on that. But as more information comes out and as we're able to play with it a little bit, I'd love to get back to you. All right, yeah, and uh, great to be calling in a mumble with, uh, you know, better than calling in uh, over the legacy cell network. Yeah, man, for sure. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. The Major, what's up, man? Hey, Noah, um, I just wanted to say thanks, first of all, for getting me on to Bitwarden. I think that's a fantastic tool, and I'm slowly migrating across from last pass to that. Yes, sir. You're liking it, huh? Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. And I love the fact that it's open source. And if, you know, if it goes down or goes commercial at any stage, then, you know, we can always uh, go on to a hosted solution. Absolutely. How can I help today? Okay, so I'm a recent convert to KDE Neon uh, coming across from Windows, and I'm absolutely loving it so far. I think it's fantastic. I love Plasma. It's a great, great desktop environment. Uh, But one thing that I'd really like to do that I'm having trouble figuring out how to do is to set up uh, like an automated backup of my home directory, Mm. uh, possibly with uh, like an something that's going to wake up the computer from sleep basically i sleep my computer at the end of the day i would like it ideally to wake up say you know midnight or something like that run a backup like an rsync or something like that and then go back to sleep again how can i do that well geez you threw me for a loop with the autumn the the waking up from suspend i there is probably a way to script that for it to wake up and then i know there's i can for sure script going back to sleep as far as waking up uh chat room if you got any ideas speak up um, as far Could as the something act- to do with uh, maybe I think uh, I saw something about RTC wake. Yeah, possibly. I've I've I a lot of things I've been asked to do. I've never been asked to script waking a computer up from suspend. You know, the other thing actually, the other thing that you might be able to work with is there might be some way to do it with the um, wake on LAN function because we we have used that inside of our simple help management console to do some automated tasks and that's how simple help wakes a machine up that's that's asleep is is using the wake on land function so there, there might be something there but uh off the top of my head i i don't have a great answer for you i i have a great answer for you as far as to actually how to back it up i, w- I would write a script in rsync um uh, or use something like datto which is a managed backup solution provider but uh as far yeah, as how to wake i think rsync is fantastic as a you yeah, know, as a built-in tool it's it's great really easy to use um yeah so i guess i'll just try and figure out if there's a, a bash script or something i can write and see if i can get the computer to wake up or you know schedule something i know i could do it in windows 10 so i'm sure that i can do it in kde neon for sure yeah let us know how that works again open phone lines one 855 that's 855-450-6624 the email live at com. all right joining us on the program is mr john white hey john sorry for the wait but welcome to the program I know. Glad to be here. 
Yeah. So I'm really excited about this. I have been asked over and over and over again about uh, Puppet. I'm sorry, uh, about Chef. And the, the thing is, one of the things I like about Chef right off the bat is all of the terms are revolve around the concept of cooking and stuff like that and so i have well it's it makes it very easy to conceptualize so i guess give me the give me the rundown if somebody hasn't ever heard of chef before if this is the first time they're hearing of the word chef they're hearing of the first project chef tell me what chef is and how you use it so chef is a devops tool the development operations it's meant to make it easier and less error prone to deploy to deploy things to manage things Chef, in particular, is a configuration tool, a server configuration tool. Okay. And you have – so why is it, do you think, not more people are using Chef? Why is it that, that people are kind of – initially, when they hear, hear of Chef, or they kind of see it or they look at it for the first time, they kind of shy away from it. What do you think drives people uh, from it sometimes? Well, it requires a, a large time investment to get, get up and productive with Chef. Uh, the documentation used to be uh, pretty – pretty bad but in the past uh, past year or two it's gotten so it's gotten so much better and the terms are are very easy i i'm kind of je- jealous of new users because it's because it's just so much easier to fi- find things now on sh- on uh, chef's uh, website so one of the things that you have done for Hello? us is you've actually written a custom guide specifically for the ask Noah show audience thank you so much for doing that um as i'm going through and i'm looking through this guide and man this is some really straightforward stuff so walk me through this it seems like uh, this should take no more than you know 10 minutes to have this up and running mm-hmm. uh well i hope so um so, but, but some background, um, we'll be using a tool called Knife. Uh, you can just install it as a gem. Um, it's a little helper utility that helps you run Chef uh, first on a single server or a small group of servers. Otherwise, you will have to set up your own Chef server to manage, manage different computers. And it's a little overkill for one server. Awesome. So, to, so, oh, <laughs> uh, so to set up a... So to set up uh, your computer for Chef, uh, and, I'm, and I'm saying your host computer, the computer that you'll be running Chef on to communicate with the server, you first need to set up a uh, public-private uh, key pair with RSA. The command is very simple, ssh-keygen-trsa, and you have to make sure not to enter a password when it prompts you for it. Okay, and so this is gener- and basically what this is doing is it's generating a key based key based authentication that you can use to to SSH into the service. So you don't have to enter the password each time. Uh, yes, yes. Um, Knife uh, Knife has a bit of an issue with that. It doesn't it doesn't like you entering passwords, and when you scale up the multiple servers, you really don't want to be entering passwords for each of them anyway. Okay, all right. So we have SSH set up. We have a, a key gen pair generated. Now what? Uh, first, you have to make sh- add the SSH key with SSH-add, otherwise it'll give you an error. And then we install RVM on the local machine. Okay, now what is RVM? Uh, make sure. RVM is a Ruby version manager. Um, it allows you to it allows you to specifically choose a allows you to run a specific version version of Ruby. In this case, there's an issue with NIFA with Ruby 2.4. Okay. Okay. Uh, sorry, so no, no, no. We're here. So okay. So we're so the so we're gonna install uh, this Ruby version manager, and uh, and again, all of these, all, this entire guide is gonna be available in the show notes. But uh, we're gonna use curl, and we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and fetch the 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 Ruby ver, Ruby version manager, and then uh, we install it. Uh, and 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 now we're set up. Now the, uh, now the system is set up, right? Make sure to, and if you use known terminal, to to go into the profile and run command as a root terminal. Otherwise, RVM may not may not run. Okay. All right. Okay. So we got we got RVM installed. We got the machine set up. Now what? So just so now you specify the version number of Ruby you want to install. RVM install two point three point six. Okay. It'll take a while to install. And does it have to be two point three point six? Uh. Just uh, uh, if you just stick to two point three, that'll be great. Okay, and uh, you said that uh, there's an issue with anything. Uh, th- there's an any, there's there's an issue with anything over two point four because uh, because of knife, right? It doesn't work well with two point four or old or newer. 
Yeah, I believe the Git version of Knife uh, works uh, with newer versions of Ruby, but for now, uh, you need to stick to 2.3. Okay. All right. So we got RVM, we got uh, the Ruby version manager installed. We got 2.3 installed. Uh, talk to me about this cookbook. This is the uh, this is the bread and butter uh, of of Chef. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we could, yes we generate a cookbook and it creates a, a list of diff- it creates a variety of different full folders. Uh, one holds your attributes, which are variables in Chef. Uh, another holds the recipes, uh, which which is uh, which is essentially a recipe is essentially a collection of resources, which are the different tasks you you can specify to configure the server. Okay, so uh, walk yeah. me th- break that down a little bit. Walk me through that. So uh, you can. So uh, one resource uh, would be the ex- would be would be the execute resource, uh, and that's just basic shell scripting. But uh, more advanced resources that uh, specify functionality that would be much more difficult to run with shell scripts would be templates, users. Um, templates are essentially the way you configure configuration files in Chef. In Chef. Okay. Um, you. And uh, for those of you who use Rails, you'll particularly like that they can be ERP files, which means you can spec- which means you can control the generation of them, just like you would use in a Rails view. Okay. Now, what is a what 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 is that file that you just tell me what that is? I, if I'm not a because I'm not a Ruby guy. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, so ERB uh, ERB files you can just use plain text files. Uh, oh, okay. But you can also use ERB files, which are embedded Ruby files. From there, you can add in little things like if if branches like like if this attribute attribute is yes, generate this. Otherwise, no. Uh, that's a that's a basic layout that I would use for test for testing uh, configurations that kind of stuff or okay. production. Okay. Cool. And uh, and so we've we've got this uh, we've got the cookbook we've got the cookbook created and uh, we've created a, a a test file. Now talk to me about actually automating the whole process. So so in auto, so. Uh, what do you what do you specifically mean? So we we have the we have the cookbook created. Now I assume that we want to we want to to, to script and automate this entire process so that so that the the cookbook will take effect and and, and be applied to these machines, right? Oh yes. Um, so uh, to so first you have to set up the machine. Uh, you need to create a node file. Nice. You'd use the nice solo prepare command for that. Okay. Um, it'll it'll create a node file with your IP address. From in that IP address, uh, in, in that node file, you would uh, you would add in your cookbook's name, my underscore cookbook uh, default, mm-hmm. um, and, and from there uh, you can then run the nice solo cook command to actually run the run the script, and it'll and it'll then run if nice will then run will then send the cookbook over to your to your server, and it'll completely run. Run the script. And now, if I want to set up a second server, if I want to set up a, a, a second server, Joan, all I have to do is install RVM and and apply that cookbook to the to the second server, and I've essentially duplicated my, you know, the the entire configuration process, right? Oh, you don't even need to install RVM. RVM is only installed on the host machine, the machine that you run that you run the, oh. the cookbook. Uh, you don't even need to install Ruby on the on the server, it's, really, the cookbook is included. That the chef has an agent. Yeah, chef has an agent, and it, and it exe- and it executes the cookbook for you on the server automatically. In fact, That's the security cool. concern is that you, yeah, a security concern is you'll then want to run nice solo. Uh, I believe it's called destroy. I can't remember the name. The name to then delete the agent and the cookbook if you so desire. If it's a security concern. Okay, and this was all happening over SSH. So if I install that, uh, if I install the Chef agent, you know, I'm I'm basically set. I don't really have to do anything else, uh, other than generate yeah, that SSH exactly. key and give my Chef, you know, Chef computer access over SSH, you know, to the to the remote server, obviously. Yep, yep. Um, in fact, uh, you just need to run the nice solo prepare command to ger- create a new node file, and then you can just reuse your re- your recipe file. 
Okay, fantastic. And if people want to learn more, obviously we're going to have this guide that you wrote specifically for the show, the thing that you've just kind of given us a brief walkthrough. Obviously, we're going to have that in the show notes. But if people wanted to learn more, where would you recommend they go? Um, so at the bottom of the guide, there's, an, there's a link to my new chef course, uh, which, which features all, all this information and a lot more, uh, much more in-depth uh, explanations. Uh, for example, uh, the, the execute blocks, uh, I use De- Debian Auto. I use Debian uh, non-interactive mode, and it explains that in-depth in my, sh- my chef course. It explains how to set up things such as, gar- such as guards for one-off commands. Awesome. Uh, te- more, a lot of information on templates and other stuff. Fantastic. Wyatttechcourses.com. And uh, I assume that's, they can get in contact with you that way too, if they have questions. Uh, yes. Uh, there's a, at the, at the end of the homepage, uh, there should be a, there's a little, ma- there's a ma- little mailing section. You can just fill it in and I'll get an email about it. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much, John, for joining us on the Ask Noah show. We really appreciate it. Uh, it was my pleasure. Perfect. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Again, open phones, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Now, some of you have written to the show or called the show or telegrammed me and said, hey, you know what, Noah, I really want to know more about behind the scenes of the Ask Noah show. And uh, I had an opportunity a couple months ago. We talked about it on the show. I had an opportunity to uh, visit with my friend Chris Curran from the uh, podcast engineering school. And uh, we went pretty in depth in in how we produce the show and the equipment that's used for the show. And uh, so I just included a link in this week's show notes for that particular episode. So I had somebody ask me just we were at scale and somebody came up and they said, well, what is the equipment you're using and how do you do it? And and we've gone over that in 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 relative detail. So we'll just have a link for that if you want to check it out. Also, some of the companies, the products that we're using have featured us because they're they're very happy that uh, that we're using their products. And so a link for that video is also in the show notes. Our Linux elimination challenge hasn't seen enough love in the past couple of weeks. We uh, we have we've been neglecting it, and we we need to we need to right that wrong. So head over to asknoahshow.com slash elimination. This week we pitted Maui Linux versus NixOS. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, NixOS pulled ahead with uh, sixty eight percent. Maui Linux trailing at thirty two percent. This coming week we are pitting Deepin versus Osgeo live and and osgo i suppose it is and uh we're we're getting into the the area of the distro elimination challenge where i have not personally used a lot of these but i am learning about all of them as we go on and i'm at least spinning these up in a vm if not actually installing them to try them out so deepin is a debian-based distribution that aims to provide an elegant user-friendly reliable operating system uh it not only includes the best open source the world has to offer, but it's also created their own desktop environment called the Deepin Desktop Environment, which is based on the QT5 toolkit. Deepin focuses much attention on the intuitive design in homegrown applications like Deepin Software Center, DMusic, DPlayer, tailored to the average user. Being easy to install, Deepin can be a great Windows replacement for the office and home use. Uh, Deepin versus OSGO Live. OSGO Live is a self-contained bootable DVD, USB thumb drive, or virtual machine based off of Lubuntu. That allows you to try a wide variety of open source geospatial software without actually installing anything. It's composed entirely of free software, allowing it to be freely distributed, duplicated, and passed around. It includes pre-configured applications for a wide range of geospatial uh, cases, including Storage, publishing, viewing, analysis, and manipulation of data. It also includes a sample data set and documentation. So go ahead and cast your vote, asknoahshow.com slash elimination. Uh, we would appreciate it. And uh, as we wind down the Distro Elimination Challenge, we are starting work on our website. The website is we're going to build the Amazon review sites of Linux distros. And the reason for that is pretty simple. When I go to buy a product, if I want to buy a vacuum cleaner, for example, which I did actually last week, I go to Amazon.com and I look at the most amount of reviews for vacuum cleaners. And when I find a vacuum cleaner that has 5,000 reviews of 4.5 stars, I know that that particular vacuum cleaner is a really good vacuum cleaner. And so I want to do that with Linux distros because I think the people that are out there that are using the Linux distros... They know it better than anyone else. Hey, guys, did you know that you can download this show as a podcast? Podcast.asknoahshow.com. 
A huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rikai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to the Harm Reduction Hour on 88.3 FM, Grand Forks.